Welcome to another episode of the Property Management Show. Today's guest is Steve Crossland. You may recognize him from his talk at PM Grow Summit this year about the ABCs of property selection and portfolio composition. On today's episode, he'll talk about the practices, mindsets, and habits that property managers should have to ensure a profitable business. As a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Four and Half, a marketing agency that creates and implements owner lead generating plans for property management companies. Since 2012, we've been helping property managers with owner focused marketing. That's everything from conversion driven web design, creating content to attract and nurture leads reputation management, online ads, you name it. If you're interested in learning more, visit fourandhalf.com. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. Do you want to watch Steve Crossland's presentation from PM Grow Summit 2021, The ABCs of Property Selection? Head to 2021.pmgrowsummit.com to purchase access to all of the recorded content from this year's PM Grow Summit. If you were an attendee this year, good news! Rewatch any of the recorded content from PM Grow 2021 for free. Just use the attendee access code that was sent to your email when signing up. And now, on to the show. So Steve, to kind of hit the ground running, In a previous conversation, we kind of delved into this idea of how profitability um, is more of a practice, right? Um, And how it's kind of similar to the concept of nutrition or dieting. Can you kind of speak more to um, what profitability as a practice means to you for the property management industry? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Well, for me, I start with my personal financial goal in mind, um, and everyone should do this. Um, where do I want to be in um, 10 years, 20? Um, at what time do I want to cross what I call the financial freedom finish line? And that's that point in time when I have enough assets and money and rental income, what, whatever composition it takes that I can quit working forever and not ever run out of money. So we want to get to that point where your wealth produces the income that you need to live on. So everyone should start with that. And, you know, this is kind of like right out of the seven habits of highly successful people where they start, where Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. And that may be a big jump for a lot of people. And, you know, to say if, if I was only 25 years old, let's say, and I said I want to retire when I'm 55 with the equivalent of $3 million in today's dollars in net worth. I'm just making these up as an example. Well, I can compute out into time, you know, with uh, inflation and everything, what that number needs to be in you know when I'm 55 or whatever age I picked but I would do it and then I would backwards engineer and start with well how much do I have right now today how much am I going to need to add to that each year so that when I get there to that finish line I'll I'll have done what I set out to do on my financial journey um, 
I think it's super important to start with that. Then you keep working backwards and say, okay, that means I need to have a $100,000 a year income, let's say. And I'm going to need to live off of um, 70000 of that. And that's going to leave me 30000 a year to invest, you know, in buying real estate or investing in my retirement account. And to me, this practice of just building wealth is it's just doing some numbers. You can do them on the back of a napkin. It's not really that complicated. But because I thought that way and did it that way, that informed my property management business. And it's one of the reasons I never wanted to be a thousand door, 2000 door, or even a 500 door company because it produced at a hundred doors, everything I needed to keep me going on that path to get to where I wanted to be. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, when did you come to this realization or ideology? Did, did you used to think differently? Um, you know, I remember, I remember listening to a finance guy on AM radio every Saturday when I'd be out driving around. And so I think I absorbed a lot of what he said. Um, and I don't even remember his name right now. But one of the things he said, for example, was never borrow money to purchase a depreciating asset. And what he meant was never borrow money to buy furniture, never borrow money to buy a car, if you can help it. But it's okay to buy money to buy things that go up in value namely real estate. So I made it for whatever reason that sunk into my 20 something year old brain. And I said, okay, I'm not going to do that. So I didn't own a car newer than 10 years old until I was 35 years old because I only bought older used cars that I could afford to pay cash for and buy. Um, so if you adopt a belief or a principle, um, and how you're going to handle your money then and, and then just start doing it and not breaking your own rules. That helps a lot. The mistake I see, especially in real estate, um, is a lot of people will increase their lifestyle as they increase their income. And I never really did that. I mean, I've lived a good lifestyle, upper middle class, I'd say. We've lived in nice houses and, you know, good neighborhoods and things like that. But I didn't keep trying to go up and keep right. up with Joneses. You're not buying fancy cars. You're not taking extravagant trips or no. buying super fancy jewelry. It's like no. live to your means and save. I got my happiness out of just seeing the progress of building wealth over time. And you have to be patient. It's very slow. It's not instant gratification. So um, that's kind of my message to anybody that would want to kind of say, what did he do? How do I do it? And going back to your original question, I don't know at what point in time I can point to like a switch going off in my head or something. It's just over time. Um, I heard things that made sense to me. I bought into them as a belief. And then I lived my life based on 
what that belief tells me is that I can be prosperous, I can be happy, I can become financially independent if I just plan my roadmap and then I just stick to schedule. But again, it's like eating right. Everybody, there's no secret, but I think the problem is in the execution and figuring out a way to filter it through your own mind, your own personality, so that you can behave the way that you want to, um, to get the outcome that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it really seems like the, the mindset shift um, on your personal life kind of influenced the way you operated in your property management business. It kind of followed suit. You realized that, hey, I have this personal goal and this personal goal is why I'm in property management anyway, why I have a business. And you kind of use the same concept of like, oh, I have this goal for myself. This is what I need out of my business. And this is how I'm going to get it out of my business. And you kind of work backwards. And I really love how you mentioned like much like eating, right? It's not a secret. There's no like, you know, society that like knows, oh, these are, these are the secrets to success. Like everybody knows eating right means choosing fruit versus maybe a potato chip bag, for example. And so how, how would you kind of um, reconcile this, this kind of shift between, uh, sorry, how would you reconcile this um, big gap between what we know and what we do? Because I think like as human beings, that's the constant struggle, right? Mm-hmm. We may know something, but we do differently. Um, did you have to work through that difficulty and what kind of things did you do to make it easier in the long run to make the right decision every time? I think that like we all want to be happy in life. Um, if somebody says, you know, what do you want out of life? I want to be happy. Um, really, I want to be content. I want to feel content. Um, and so I think what we all have to look for is what, what lights your fire? What, what do you get, um, what I call a moment of delight out of? And what I found for me, which may be different for other people, is that I find that just pure simplicity um, makes me happy. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, there's this uh, TED Talk called The Paradox of Choice. And I forget the guy who put on the talk, but he said, the more choices we have in life, the less happy we are. And the fewer choices we have, when we can restrict and limit our choices, we're happy. And um, I see that in real estate. We are in a, in a, a strong, strong seller's market right now in Austin, like a lot of cities. I'm getting ready to list a house for 695,000 that I expect is probably going to get 20, 30, 40 offers and maybe sell for 800 or more. Um, The buyer who gets that house is, even though they will have paid way more than it's worth, will be a happier buyer than a buyer who I sold to in 2010 when the market was dead and you had literally hundreds of homes to choose from and no buyers could ever make up their mind. And even when they found what they wanted, they weren't getting something else that they saw. And this is what the paradox of choice talks about. 
So I'm saying all that, and this may sound silly, but pay attention to what makes you happy in life. Um, it could be something that you weren't really thinking about. It could be complexity. It could be that you like complexity, that you like analyzing and solving things. But find out what makes you happy in life. So because I like simplicity, I like minimalism, I like just straightforward, uncomplicated decisions, that's how I ran my property management business. That's the thing that I sold to my clients and they bought into it. And therefore, because I only managed a certain kind of property, single family home and developed neighborhoods that generally fed into good schools, attracted a homogenous kind of tenant. And all of my owners had bought into the hands off. This is how I'm going to do it. You're not going to be involved. Uh, simple way of, of being a client where they don't have to make any decisions or think about anything. I transferred what makes me happy in my personal life into how I run my business and what would make me happy running that business. And so how did you um, communicate that with the owners? Because like you mentioned, right, you liked simplicity. You realized simplicity is what made you feel content and happy. And it seemed like you made changes in your business that attracted a similar kind of client, an owner that also wants to be hands-off, right? Who wants simple. Um, and so can you share with our audience kind of like how that came to be if someone were listening and they realize, hey, I do want things to be simpler for my property management business. How do I get to where, to where Steve got? Um. I assume that every prospect that found me wants what I sell. And the wrong assumption that a lot of property managers make is that a um, potential property management client knows what they want. I mean, think about it. A typical client of mine, if they were not an investor that I sold to who had already bought in and knows me and trusts me, so there's not really a whole lot of selling um, involved with the business um, you know, philosophy. But let's say I get a call from a, a, a young couple. I say, listen, you know, you guys are going to Seattle. Um, are you going to rent there or are you going to buy right away? Oh, no, we're going to rent. Okay. Um, and then I go into a little story about, hey, what if your heat cuts out or this or that and do you want to have five days later still no heat with your little baby there and the property manager giving you some story about how they're still waiting on permission for the owner from the owner to fix it? Or do you want, do you think it should have been fixed right away? And they they'll say, well, we, it should have been fixed right away. I say, well, that's the kind of service your tenant will get when I manage your property. You're giving me permission to make these decisions in advance. You have to trust me to do that and believe that I'm not going to waste your money. I have trusted vendors, but when something in the home breaks, we give it the service that it is needed to bring it back up to working condition. And so does that sound like what you want? And they say, that's exactly what we want. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to have to do anything. We just want to know that it's handled. And I would say, that's right. So you can go to Seattle and settle in and live your life and focus on the things you want to do without having to 
be bothered by your property manager to get the okay to make a no-brainer decision that really has no option. So that's kind of a long answer to your question, but the answer is everyone does want exactly what I did the way I did it. And if they didn't, when they didn't, if they said, can I be more involved in that? I just say, you know, no. Um, There are property managers that will let you be more involved and there's nothing wrong with that, wanting that. And it's just not, it's not how I do it. We're not set up to do that. And I also don't think you get as good of a service that way. Mm. Uh, and so you have to be able to sell it. And because I believe in it and I, and I validate it with good results, then I was able to sell it to people. What I love is you paint the picture, right? You're not just saying, hey, this is, this is what it is. You kind of set them up to understand that that is what they want. You, you paint the picture like and you use the comparison of hey do you want your little kid without heat for five days when it's cold and rainy outside or whatever the circumstance may be so I really like that because it's not just like I think Marie originally was asking how do you communicate this to your owners well you tell them you tell them the story you you make them feel the emotions and imagine the scenario in their head and may, they might not even realize it yet maybe. I think that's where the discipline comes in. Um, I think when when you were describing the scenario where you're giving your story and you're being very clear, like, hey, listen, this is why I do it the way I do it. Um, it's best for everyone. If you're not as involved, you let me handle this. And if they push back, um, I was thinking like, oh, no, but you'll lose that owner. Like everyone's fighting for properties, right? Like why would you just be okay? And um, you take it a step further and you're just like, oh, that's not how I do it. You're like, hey, you know what? You want to be more involved. You, you, you don't, it doesn't seem like how I do it um, fits what you're looking for. I can refer you to other property managers. Like just the, the idea that you're like so okay with losing an owner who doesn't buy into your story to me is anxiety producing, <laughs> but also speaks to your discipline of just getting a specific type of owner that works with the way you've systemized your business. Right. So it'd be easy to say yes. Let's think about this a second. If you know your numbers, if you know your financial freedom finish line, and you know how many doors you need to manage to produce the income that you need to stay on on track, you know, on time and on track for your journey. And your unit count is whatever it is, it's at or about your cruising altitude, then you're not desperate for another door. Um, There's no anxiety involved in not getting that door. I think what happens with a lot of property managers is they buy into this groupthink or this, this kind of drumbeat of grow, grow, grow. You've got to grow, you know. And you don't, yeah, you have to grow. You need to get to whatever number of properties you need. But you, you should know how many properties you want to manage. If you're short, you know, and you do need to, you know, add more, um, then maybe you come off of your requirements a tiny bit. Um, But you got to decide what's not negotiable. 
Like if I was trying to grow and I knew I needed to be at 200 doors and I'm at 150, um, maybe I'll take some B properties that I would pass if I'm at 210. You know, if I know that I need to be at 200 to meet my financial goals and I'm at 210, then I'm very relaxed and comfortable with just letting go of any new lead that's not an A account. Mm-hmm. Why would I take a C or a B property when I'm already where I need to be? Um, so never show up feeling desperate to win the account. That's when you start, you know, making concessions to your own belief system, taking properties that you knew you shouldn't take. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my things was I would never take a home warranty. Mm-hmm. So I go meet a new owner. They love me. They want to hire me. Their one thing, one non-negotiable is I have to use the home warranty company. And I would just say like that for me, that's a no, that's a deal breaker. It, the goal is to be in a comfortable place where you can be picky. Mm. Um, and then you can decide if you want to readjust your goal. So there should be some rational kind of computable reasons why you want to have the number of doors you have. It can't just be blindly, I want more. I don't know how many, how many doors do you want to have? I don't know, more. That's what most property managers' goal is, just more. But they can't give you or articulate a um, mathematical reason that leads to a financial conclusion why they need more. Yeah, it's like an incomplete plan. It's not really a plan if you don't have an end goal. It's it's like if someone's like, hey, you know, I'm trying to lose weight. It's like, oh, like what's your target? You're like, oh, I just want to lose weight. It's like you're less mm-hmm. likely to get there because you don't really have a target. You just want to lose weight. So um, you're less likely to know kind of like what your limits are. So you were talking about how um, you were very clear on the number of doors that um, you were targeting that was comfortable for you. And so since you were hovering around that, you didn't feel desperate to take on any door that didn't really fit kind of like the type of client that worked best for your way of doing things. So it, it all boils down to really understanding um, what you're going to get so you can design a system that is super streamlined and just sticking to your guns, right? That like, I know I have a system. And so as tempting as it might be to take on that property that can rent really high, but um, has a warranty, it's going to screw up my system. And so I have to be disciplined and stay away from the attractive cake and just focus on, (laughs) you know, the the healthier property suite, which are the ones that actually fit my system. What's going to meet your goals in the long run? Is it really going to help you get to where you want to be later on or just for right now. Yeah. And then I know Steve that you um, do consulting on the side, like you help property managers through um, various stages of their your property management businesses. And you've shared some stories with us on like things that you're helping people through. And a lot of it has to do with just getting over that kind of like, fear of just making the hard decisions. Can you kind of share some of those stories and walk us through how you help those consulting clients? Yeah, I I think the 
the first thing that any prop if the property manager feels like their business suffers from inner involvement, uh, over involvement of owners, if they've trained and conditioned their owners to be in the loop on every little thing that happens. And I understand some people think it's good service, but it's, it's not, it's just way too much information. So if you're one of those property managers who has been doing that and now the, the disadvantages are plain and clear and you're a believer in, in like going away from that and saying, help me, tell me what to do. We solve it with one letter. You just send one letter to your, all your owners, a blanket mass letter and say, you know, effective immediately going forward, here's how maintenance will be handled. And you hit the reset button and you state it plain and clear for ordinary and expected repairs and maintenance. You won't be notified or involved. You'll see what happened on your monthly statement. Um, for bigger, more expensive, urgent, no choice repairs like uh, water heater replacement, air conditioning breakdown and replacement, a heater not working and you know, below freezing weather like we've had recently, we're going to initiate the action that needs to be taken on that immediately. We will inform you what we did and, and what happened, but we're not going to get bids and go back and forth and waiting for permission. And this is how it's going to be going forward. Um, you send that letter out, and we sent it out to, um, well, it was 150 doors, so I think it was about, a hundred owners and the fear is a bunch of them are going to quit, right? They're just not going to take, they're not going to, they're not going to go for it. <laughs> gonna, no, I want to know what's going on. You know what? Nobody quit. Uh, a couple of owners emailed back and said, sounds good. And one called and wanted some clarification. And that was it. It was a big nothing burger. And now, what I didn't anticipate is that the property managers actually have a hard time doing what they said they were going to do in that letter. They're scared. Oh. Um, and that, that catches me off guard. I'm surprised. It goes back to that mindset thing where like now they're just falling back into the old patterns and yeah. doing it the old way, even though you've told all your owners you're going to do it the new way and none of them complained or quit. Um, so, as somebody who's not just like giving a presentation anymore, but is actually trying to help somebody do what I say, um, I'm learning. I'm learning that it's not that easy. I, <laughs> it's easy for me because I'm old and I've done it that way for a long time, but it's, it's, it's really just not that easy. And I, I don't know the secret on how to fix that, but I do know it's gonna have something to do with mindset and just practicing over and over and over, uh, doing the scary thing, finding out that it was okay, the owner didn't fire you when you called them and told them you replaced the water heater. And the more positive feedback you get from those instances of that happening and, and, not, and, and being okay, then the, the less afraid you are and the more willing you are to start pushing the envelope. Yeah, and so uh, I'm curious to know, um, it sounds kind of, um, nerve wracking to send a letter to all your owners saying like, Hey, from now on, 
you'll stop getting the notification every time a work order is received. You'll, it'll stop getting like the instant notifications. You'll just see it in your monthly statement. But was there some kind of story you, you used to kind of frame that change um, to help owners understand why it's being done? Or was it just objective? Like this is a change. Um, there, there would be maybe a different story than the one we used, but we used COVID-19 as cover. And the story was that people are really living, like seriously living in their homes like never before. They may be working from home. They may be trying to school kids from home. Um, they really depend on the home to function and operate, where maybe they ran the dishwasher twice a week before. They might be running it twice a day now. I mean, they're not eating out. Everybody's eating at home. Um, they may be running, or they may have set the thermostat a little higher when everybody's gone during the day. They're, they're all at home every day. And when where a tenant may have been accepting of and okay with uh, maybe a three-day turnaround to fix their dishwasher, just using that as an example. Um, now it really impacts them if we're not speedy and professional and quick. So that was the story, something like that. And who would read that and not agree? Your owner is also stuck at home. They're also using all their stuff. Like they're going to read that and nod their heads and go, yeah, I totally get that. All right, that makes sense. And they're not going to fight with it. If it's two years from now and we're out of COVID, there's, it would be a different story, but we can tell the same story. Um, and it's basically that the service really matters now to people. Um, it's really, really important to give good service to your tenant. And the most valuable asset you have in your rental property is your good landlord-tenant relationship. So when you can get an owner aligned with that mindset and that way of thinking and to believe in that story, then there's nothing for them to be upset about. But you got to think about this in, in, in the big picture. So I would never let an owner get into their anxiety or um, unhappiness about one particular repair thing. I would, I would redirect their mind, their thinking to the big picture. And I used, like to use the phrase, the good news is, so I just had to replace your air conditioner. That's going to be $6,800 off of your next owner statement. The rental cover part of it, but I need you to send me $5,000 or whatever. The good news is, since I sold you that house 10 years ago, it's already doubled in value. It's doing way better than the expected appreciation. It's doing what you wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. It's adding to your wealth. And we've had the past five years without really a whole lot of expenses at all. So this one, even when we add this in, you're still doing way better than we even would have predicted. And you should be very happy about that. You made a good decision buying this property. And I would say something like that. That's how I would say it. Um, that helps an owner get out of their, oh, I didn't want to spend all that. Think, instead of thinking, oh, my God, he just spent all that money without telling me. They're thinking, yeah, I am smart. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love how um, the, the way you personally think of finances kind of permeates your business, but also how you deal with your owners. because. Um, 
it sounds like, oh, you're deflecting the attention away from the 6,800 repair all to the appreciation of the appreciation of the property. But in essence, what you're doing is actually keeping the owners also focused on their financial freedom line. Like, hey, isn't this why you have the property in the first place? You know, this may, you know, look like a setback because you're spending all this money for repairs, but look at how far you've come since you bought the property. Like you're actually doing well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important. It's like for um, the property managers themselves to figure out like, Hey, how far off, how far off are you from your freedom line? And then that can ease some of the anxiety to keep just taking on any property that comes your way. Um, but also when they're dealing with owners, it's very informative to be like, Hey, what about your financial freedom line? Like, where are we? Like, yes, I know you're upset. The roof, you know, a tree fell on the roof. Now we have to get a new roof, but like, you know, the, the property has appreciated. Like, do you want to sell it now? Cause if you want to sell it now, we can use that to pay for the roof or, or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I really love that. Yeah. So all goes back to the onboarding and that first meeting with the owner and saying, you know, how are you doing on money? You could have an unexpected expense at any time. Um, you have at least six months worth of rent sitting aside or have access to it if you needed it. Because I might call you and tell you that I need you to send me some money. And this is just part of owning a rental property. And then if that owner doesn't have the money, if they start talking and saying, like, you know, I, I, I couldn't pass up this job transfer and we just refinanced the house and I need it to rent for enough to, um, you know, cover my mortgage payment. And I, I'm, you know, I can't really afford a whole lot of repairs. Then when you start hearing that, that's just not the client you want. I mean, you're not going to be able to overcome their anxiety with any story. They literally don't have the money to be a landlord. That's when I shift the conversation and say, well, have you just thought about selling it? You know, because I mean, this could, it could happen. You know, you could, you could have three months of vacancy too Mm -hmm. and expensive repairs. It, It hopefully won't happen, but you have to plan for the worst not assume the best. And if you're not prepared and ready to handle the worst thing that can happen to you as a rental property owner, you really have to, you know, think, do I want to be a rental property owner? And I've had that talk with people. I've had them decide to sell the house. Oh, <laughs> so wow. That wasn't what I was trying to do, but you know, they hadn't, nobody had told them the truth. They had just gone out and tried to say, oh, yeah, I'll manage your property. Oh, yeah, we'll keep the expenses down, you know, but they're not really serving them by painting the truth and telling the whole picture by, you know, asking these probing questions. Do you actually have enough money to be a landlord? Because not everyone does. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it comes down to that, too. It's like they want to own a rental property because they think, oh, it's extra income without realizing that in the greater scheme of things, it's a liability for them because, you know, they have um, a big maintenance issue and then they can't pay their own mortgage. Right. And so um, I actually have a final question. Um, Mm -hmm. We talked um, during this time about mindset a lot, right? Um, And how mindset kind of like is the start um, of like changing your habits, but also mindset is how you stick to the plan and actually get there. Um, so if someone were to 
for example, um, you know, want to achieve a certain goal, like nutrition wise, you know, to lose weight, they would use kind of like an app maybe, or Mm -hmm. a notebook to track their progress. Um, Are there kind of equivalents that property managers can use to keep themselves on track um, in terms of their goals for their businesses and make sure they're not just slipping back into the old ways, even though they know they're supposed to do things differently? Um, You know, that I don't, I don't have a magic bullet for, but what I do think it starts with is clarity. I think a lot of property managers are managing unprofitable properties. Their C doors, their B minus doors, because they don't have a way to measure the profit they're, they're getting per door. And so what I would say is split your doors up into A, B, and C, make a spreadsheet, put in your gross monthly management fee revenue from each category, and then give it an effort score. And I give A units a, a one, and B units a two, and C units a three. And then what that does, and it's really easy to make a little spreadsheet like this, you have to spend the time to go through your portfolio and, and get the numbers and you know do the data entry. But what, and this is what I did. This is what I did back in the early 2000s. And it's why I dumped 100 doors. Like when I was at 240, I dumped 100 doors next day when I made a spreadsheet and realized that all of these C doors I was managing were creating like 70 or 80, I forget the exact number, but a high percentage of my effort and only 17% of my revenue. So So that was the day of reckoning, right? And and this is actually your topic um, for your talk at PM Grow Summit 2021. And, and, right, like... How to hold yourself accountable, and that's one way is to measure that. Um, Another way is to keep track of your conversion rate on your leads. How many people that you talk to who uh, are ready to hire a property manager, what percentage of those do you convert? And, and did they hire you? And if it's not at least 70%, then start trying to figure out why, because that affects your lead flow. Um, I had a high conversion rate, so I didn't, and, and I stayed at 100 doors, and I only lost six or eight a year to sales mostly. Um, I didn't need a big lead flow. I didn't have to spend any money on advertising because I had enough good leads coming in that I knew I could convert, that I could stay at my, my, my unit count target. So um, I haven't like developed a order of operation or a set list of what to do first here, but I would say first and foremost, everybody should just think about the mindset, say, I hear what Steve's saying, do I believe that? And then if you believe it, If you buy in, then the next step is, okay, what's the next best thing I can do that'll start getting me there? And I think sending the letter is number one. Um, Putting all your units in a spreadsheet is number one or two. And find out which units are profitable, which units are not, and stop managing the unprofitable units. Just go ahead and get rid of them. Yeah, and if you can't afford it, make a plan to get there. You can't start top siding. Only take A units, and every time you bring an A unit, it gives you triple or quadruple the income 
of a C unit, take an A unit, drop a C unit. Yeah. You, you, just, you just increased your income and decreased your effort. You know, it's a hard business, but it's a great business. It's recurring revenue. You can count on it. It's going to come in every month. And if you are constantly sharpening your saw, honing yourself, and, and reducing your effort while your income goes up, um, and you know what target unit count you're going for, then you'll feel a lot more confident in, in what you need to wake up and do each day. Um, and I love talking about this stuff, so anybody's free to shoot me an email or give me a call anytime, and I'm happy to chat about it um, because I do have a passion for it. Even though I sold my business and I'm out of it, um, I like helping other people succeed. That's one of the things that makes me happy in life. Wonderful. And so we'll put your contact information in the write-up. Um, and thank you so much for joining us, Steve.